Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition, episode 150th Century Month. Lab Up Speed Hitting Podcast. Thank you for being with us. Mechanical Breakdown Series. And what better person to break down on episode 100 than one of the best hitters himself. A legendary hitter. His name is Barry Bonds. Mechanical Breakdown Series, Volume 33, Gold Edition, breaking down the swing of one of the best of all time, no matter what people think. He really is one of the best hitters of all time, Barry Bonds. And to do that with me, let me bring in professional evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, friend, and co-host, Jake Epstein. Yeah, excited. Bonds is, he's special, you know, and, and, and obviously say what you want about his career and the, maybe the, some of the choices he made, but that dude could flat out hit and, and not just mechanically, but physically his vision was, you know, unparalleled and his mental approach off the charts. So there was an article here in Colorado years ago with uh, catcher Yorvi Torialba, and he was, you know, he was a teammate of Bonds with the Giants, you know, prior to this this interview. And they said, or Yorialba went on to say, you know, Bonds would sit with me and say, "Hey, this at bat, I'm going to get this pitch on my first pitch, this pitch on my second pitch, and then the third pitch I'm going to swing at and hit." And it was like. Boom, boom, boom. Totally happened. And he just talked about being on another level of what pitchers were trying to do to him. He knew by his second or third at bat, you know, he was he was locked in. Breaking balls, fastballs, you know, people say, God, he never got fooled that year he hit, you know, 70 home runs or whatever that final number was. You know, he just he didn't he didn't strike out much. Like he walked a lot. They were pitching around him. He still got pitches to hit that he'd never missed. He never fouled off. It was almost like he knew what pitch was coming. Well, in his mind, he was anticipating what he wanted to hit, and he had the ability to absolutely abort anything that wasn't fitting, you know, his 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 plan. You know, if he was looking for a fastball and he saw a release point that was different, spin that was different right away, he wouldn't swing at it, right? And it would be buried, and that's why he didn't chase very many pitches. If he was looking for an off-speed pitch, he was sitting on it. He knew where it was, what window it was coming out of when the person was throwing to him and what it looked like. And if it didn't match up, if it had four-seam spin, then he was he was taking that pitch. He was sticking to his plan. And he you know, might, might have been the best of all time in doing so. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of legendary stories out there with Barry Bonds. Let's get right into it here. Um, good story on your part. But with Bonds, just a couple of household items. Seven-time, seven-time. National League MVP. It's hard to believe. I'm not going to start this debate, but it's hard to believe he's not in the Hall of Fame. 12-time Silver Slugger, 14-time All-Star, 762 official career home runs. And he's the first and only... This is one I loved, by the way. He's the first and only player to date up to this point as we talk to you episode 100 on Memorial Day, late May 2022, with at least 500-plus home runs and 500 stolen bases. At least 500 home runs, at least 500 stolen bases. It just goes to show you what a great athlete he really was. And he sort of, in his prime, you could make the argument, was one of the best game-changers or the most game-changing type player um, in the league and across Major League Baseball for a huge time period. Yeah. I mean, every time he, he stood in the box, right. There was, 
there was fear, there was apprehension that pitcher, you know, maybe squeezing a little bit tighter. The coach is trying to figure out what do we do here? Do we walk him? Do we pitch to him? Do we pitch around him? Do we stick to our pregame plan pitching around him? Um, so much time probably went into the, the plan and preparation on the opposing team mm-hmm. that probably took away from other aspects of the game too. And he was just one player in the lineup, but it shows you what one dynamic, you know, uh, I guess you can't say Hall of Famer, but, you know, player, a dominant player, what, what that can do to a game. You know, I mean, he was yeah. the, I guess this year it happened, but, you know, he got walked with the bases loaded, right? It intentionally mm-hmm. walked with the bases loaded. I'll tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Sosha did it in the World Series in 2002, yeah. if you remember. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Um, another thing about Barry Bonds, and this is from an article in Axios in May of 2020. Um, This is Barry Bonds speaking about today's hitters. People forget at one point he was unforgettably the hitting coach for the Marlins and Mm -hmm. didn't really that tenure work out as well as everybody would have liked. But this is again from Axios and this is Barry Bonds in May of 2020 speaking about today's hitters. And he says, quote, never in my lifetime would I ever think like that. Never. My dad and Willie would kill me. Like they told me, hit the ball in the air and it takes one guy to get you out. Hit one on the ground and you've got two chances. So Bonds here, unquote, Bonds is speaking in regards to the launch angle revolution and what guys are now being taught to hit the ball more in the air in the last few years. That was what that quote and the context attached to it. What do you make of that? What do you make of Bonds um, and what he thought he was doing at the plate uh, we'll get to his mechanics in just a moment, but what do you make of that quote? And what do you think about Barry Bonds uh, just in general, what his approach is through that quote? Well, and I know what his approach is. Um, mm-hmm. So he's a guy that uh, was a very top hand dominant. Like he, he really thought about using his top hand, keeping mm-hmm. the barrel above his hand, yeah. thinking about staying on top of pitches. Barry Bonds was not a ground ball hitter. <laughs> he wasn't a guy that hit a lot of ground balls. He no. had a lot of home runs. He had most everything in the air. But it obviously tells you that he wasn't trying to do that. It was a result of what he was doing. So, you know, in terms of the the saying, you know, if you hit a ball on the ground, you know, there's a chance that, you know, somebody will boot it, right? But at that level, they don't boot it. You know, at Little League level, they boot it. But that was the old school thing, like hit it on the ground. Somebody's probably going to make an error you know, mm-hmm. before you're 15 years old. So that doesn't really hold true in, in, in at the higher levels of baseball. So I don't believe, you know, that's the right process. Plus there's only three outfielders and there's four infielders. Um, now, sometimes there's four outfielders now, depending on the shift. But mm-hmm. uh, right. what his process was, was, you know, I mean, he did, he, you know, Yelich does that drill because Yelich learned it from Bonds when he was a manager or a hitting coach at, 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 uh, at the Marlins. But mm-hmm. It was try to let the ball get so deep and then hit the top of it that it hits off of home plate. Mm-hmm. Like the only way to do that is to keep your barrel up above the ball for a really long time. And he was the master at that. I remember Yelich saying like, I, I can, the best I could do is get it about, get that ball to bounce about halfway between home plate and the pitcher, you know, mm-hmm. but Bonds could just ricochet boom, right, right off the top of the plate because he had that kind of control over his top hand. So, that's what he thought about. You know, everybody thinks about, oh, he's a guy that spins and tries to launch everything. He was just an amazing hitter. He just found barrels. He was he was on plane. He wasn't extreme. 
up. He wasn't extreme down. He let the ball travel on pitches away. He had a very, very small vertical bat angle. So mm -hmm. I was looking at a lot of swings. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of side views of Bonds. There just wasn't as much, you know, television, high definition stuff, you know, when he played. It wasn't as available as today. But there were a ton of, uh, of videos from the front. And you can see that like his barrel stayed up, you know, his barrel drop was probably in the teens most of the time. He didn't have a lot of barrel drop. Even if his shoulders were more, a lot of times, most players, their shoulder tilts. So if you look at my shoulders, if you're watching this, you know, uh, on the uh, YouTube page, you know, my bear, if this is my barrel, you know, as my shoulders kind of lean in, my barrel will match that. Well, his shoulders are like this, but sometimes his bat would be up like this it wouldn't match up. That's a big thing that's taught is like, you want to make sure your shoulders lean and you have a lot of side tilt and all this about bonds to not. Um, and that was because he was a top hand guy trying to stay on top of pitches, but you know what? He hit the bottom of the ball, mm -hmm. hit the bottom of the ball. It's going to go in the air. Okay. I don't care if you're trying to swing up or down, but if you, if you hit the bottom of the ball, the ball's going to go up and he had the perfect combination of the right amount of down and the right amount of up. And, uh, all the other intangibles of him being explosive and strong and good vision and great anticipation just adds up to the numbers that he did put up. See, I think that's where people get confused though. And we've heard Tony Gwynn say before um, talking about um, pulling a knob or mm -hmm. a famous video online when he was the coach at San Diego state. And he was talking to a group of campers, a group of kids, and he was saying how you shouldn't chicken wing, meaning you shouldn't let mm -hmm. that front elbow fly up. When in reality, yeah. that's what he was doing, and he did that throughout his entire yeah. career. And you just said it, Barry Bonds, he was on plane, he was level, he was hitting, no matter what, though, he was hitting the bottom of the ball, yet he's doing drills where he's trying to hit the top of the ball. How did those mm -hmm. drills that he was doing, and other legendary hitters from back in the day, how did that translate to in-game success, but also that other intangible where they weren't... <laughs> They weren't hitting the bot. He wasn't hitting the bottom of the top of the ball. He was hitting the bottom of the yeah. ball, yet he was still trying to hit the top of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, we could really get crazy into it, but you know, one of the reasons is, you know, in batting practice, the ball drops at like 15 to 20 degrees. Mm -hmm. So you can drop your barrel swing up 15, 20 degrees and hit the ball. Well, if you take that same swing in a game when the ball is only dropping, say six degrees on a major league fastball, now, all of a sudden, you drop this much underneath the pitch plane. Well, you can't get back up to it mm -hmm. in time. So it doesn't work. So a lot of times, you you know, you have to try to stay on top because, because of that pitch. So um, if you train hitting the bottom half of the ball a lot. So there's a, there's a guy that uh, Nolan Gorman, who you probably, I think that's his name, right? He was a mm -hmm. first rounder a couple of years ago and doing really, really well for the Cardinals. And when I saw his swing in high school, he was a guy that really launched balls, you know, like he, he was a BP stud, you know, he would swing up at 15 degrees cause they were throwing him that and, and he was strong as can be. Um, well, I recently saw videos of him and he's so much flatter than he was when he came out of, out of high school. And he had to make that adjustment when he got the pro ball. So same guy, same ability doing things right, made an adjustment. Um, and, and he's absolutely killing it. Like I, I would have no looking at his swing. Now I'm like that swing plays at the major league level. When I thought a couple of years ago, I said that swing does not play at the major league level. He's going to need to make adjustments. Um, some people do, some people don't. He obviously did make those adjustments. So, you know, 
as that relates to bonds, his bat and vertical angle looks very similar to what I what I saw in bonds yesterday when I saw some highlights of Gorman recently. Mm-hmm. And then I saw bonds. I'm like, mm, that's a really good adjustment. And then I'm like, bonds is kind of doing the same exact thing. So we definitely learned some stuff with Barry with the with the uh, voiceover, the annotation today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, also, too, before we get into the swing analysis, um, besides hitting the top of the ball, what are we looking at with Barry Bonds and his swing attributes? Lower body, upper body. What does he do really, really well? I don't think he does many things bad or um, things that would hurt his swing. Uh, what does he do really, really well, upper body, lower body? Well, what's interesting is he has a huge hitch. So mm-hmm. if somebody, and we'll see it, if somebody, if there was a kid that had a hitch like his today, people would immediately say, oh, you, you can't hit that way. You have to start your hands here. Um, I'm the person that says, okay, you have a hitch. It's probably in your DNA. I'm not sure we can get that out. And then the player will look at me and say, yeah, I've had coaches try to do it. It's just there. So I, I always say, okay, well, let's figure out how we could use it and just make sure your hands get to the proper launch position. So one thing we're going to learn from Barry is how great he is at timing his hitch. I mean, there's been amazing hitters with hitches, um, you know, dating back to like Mel Ott had a big hitch. Uh, Ted Williams had a hand hitch. Uh, but David Ortiz a little bit more recently has a hand hitch. Obviously, Bonds does. I can't think of players today. I know there's there's some out there um, with kind of big rhythm, but uh, it's something that w- it, it doesn't mean anything. It's rhythm and how it gets you going. So, you know, one thing is his is, is hand hitch. Uh, number two is his back foot actually doesn't travel forward very much. Um, he doesn't get super wide with his stride. Mm-hmm. Um, he rotates um, fast and hard. Uh, so he, he doesn't have a huge uh, linear or forward weight shift at all. Um, he stays in place, uh, which is great for him. He could do that. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody's as, as strong as he is to be able to create that much energy without much of he still had he still had a weight shift, but it, it's less noticeable. You'll see his foot um, borderline sometimes go back, so we'll we'll be able to see that. And then as far as his hands his hands are concerned, just amazing hands. He used to he choked up a lot on the bat, like he wanted to feel his hands, and he was big on making sure that that bat didn't slip. Mm-hmm. You know, he had strong hands. His top hand was palm up for a really really long time. Oh, can you? Go into the hitch um, one more time with him, and we'll get into it again during the, the swing analysis. Um, yeah. But what, is the, what do you think that hitch does for his swing and, and just for his hands in general? It, it really just gets him going. It's mm. not moving from a standstill. So it gets his rhythm going. His hitch goes with his front foot. So they, they kind of dance together. So it's not stagnant. It's, it's kind of, you know, he hitches down and kind of brings his foot up. And then as his foot goes down, his hands come back up. And it's, it's all rhythm and timing. The hitch, I don't think the hitch does anything to make him swing harder or faster or more efficient. It simply gets him going so he's not late. Because if you're late with a hitch, you'll never get your hands back up and you won't be yeah. successful. So it forces you to kind of get that stride going, um, mm-hmm. which is really, really the most important thing. I was doing voiceovers for my online academy members. And I always time them. How long does your rhythm take? You know, where's your front foot? Where's the ball? Where are your hands? You know, when your front foot hits the ground. And I have a high school kid that just has made leaps and bounds in the last six weeks or so. And his rhythm was so nice and smooth and easy. It was a full second, his rhythm, this last video. And he was hitting line drives all over the place because it was giving himself a chance. 
So with this stride and this rhythm and this hitch that he had, essentially it forced him to move a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and be a little bit more controlled. So he probably wasn't as jumpy. Doesn't mean it's for everyone, but I never take hitches away from people because usually there's a, there's a reason they do it. They're comfortable with that move and trying to take it out makes them very uncomfortable. Right. And as a hitter, if you're uncomfortable, you're already behind the eight ball. You know, you, you've talked about it before. Hitters way back when playing in, we're talking about the Ted Williams era. Yeah. Babe Ruth, before. They used yeah. to do that hitch because their bats, they would have to get their hands going so because big. their bats were so big and you're exactly right. right. And they were so large and so heavy. I don't think Barry Bonds' bat was all that heavy and large. Uh-uh. He just did it to get his hands going. Yeah. He did his entire career too, by the way. It wasn't something that he just it, learned later on. And Barry grew up in clubhouses. You know, right. I mean, he was he, he was growing up with his with his dad in clubhouse, and he was using those big bats probably when he was a kid that his dad had laying around or, you know, uh, other players that, you know, were on the team. Obviously, Willie Bays, you know, his godfather, I think. So, uh, you know, I mean, he was around pretty amazing players his whole life. And I think that's probably where his mental mindset, you know, a lot of that came from. His dad was a, a big leaguer for a long time and talked him through at bats, the mental side of hitting. But I think he also there was no there was there was no situation too big for him because as a you know eight year old kid he was you know in big league stadiums all the time and that's a lot of that you see nowadays when when guys get brought up you know the guys that are sons of major league players it's like oh great I'm in the big leagues now yeah you know yeah. the locker room's a little bigger but I belong, I've been here before versus somebody that's never been there and never been all of a sudden they get brought up and then they struggle for a long time because it's like culture shock, you know, when you get to the big leagues. So um, I'm sure that helped him quite a bit. Like it helped Griffey. Yeah. And, and all the other um, mm-hmm. signs of former players and <laughs> the list, I think the list, um, the list goes uh, Bobby Witt Jr. I mean, the list yeah. kind of continues. All right. It looks like you're ready to go. So let's get into the swing analysis, mechanical breakdown series, volume 33 gold edition, Barry Bonds. We're going, of course, to be going to be doing more of these. We'll be doing Tony Gwynn in the weeks to come. A lot of hitters to get to on the gold edition legend side of things, uh, former professional hitters uh, at the major league level throughout the week. So um, we'll get to them. Mechanical breakdown series, volume 33. Don't forget to watch the show. Um, on YouTube, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast uh, YouTube page. Subscribe to the show. We do really appreciate that. Those numbers continue to go up. And uh, subscribe to the show on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, and email us. We'll get to our question here towards the end of the show. Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. All right, here we go. All right, so uh, cool, cool views here of uh, views here of Bonds from the front and the side on a home run that he hit. So I'm just going to kind of play through it. You know, in the beginning here, we can see the pitch. Um, You know, he actually pulls this thing into McCovey Cove, into right field. But if we look at the pitch, he kind of reached for it, right? His his timing wasn't spot on. He was a little bit early. So if we look at this, you know, the pitch was 86 miles an hour. So I'm not sure if that was a changeup, trying to look at his hand, the pitcher's hand, or it was just a fastball that didn't do anything. But the big thing with Bonds, looking from the front, you can see where the pitcher is. The pitcher breaks his hand. Okay, so as the pitcher breaks his hands, you can see Bonds' hands kind of go back. And then as he's bringing his arm forward, that's when Bonds hitches. So you can see what I want you to look at from the front here is watch the, like the knob of the bat and watch his front knee. You'll see how they kind of compress and go together. Okay, 
So as the hands come down, the knee comes up. Then as the knee comes down or the foot comes down, now the hands come back up to his launch position. Okay. So we can see this pitch is, you know, somewhat away, but look at how he's kept his front shoulder down and in at heel plan. Even though his front hip has started to open, his upper body is still back. His hands are back. So his, his torque is really, really amazing. Then as he comes through, you can see him kind of sink down. See his head drop just a little bit after heel plant. That's a good sink right there. If I put that line over his head, he'll sink down a little bit. And then he reaches for this pitch ever so slightly. But if you look at the angle of his bat, we talked about his vertical bat angle. If I put a line on that, he's at 28 degrees, 27 degrees. If I put a line on his shoulders, it's almost 40 degrees. It's 38 degrees. So if you're constantly taught, hey, your bat has to always match your shoulders, right? If that were the case, and he's at 38 degrees, and then I put his hands in the same spot, and then I bring that to 38 degrees, I'm trying, what is he going to do? He's going to foul that pitch off instead of hitting a home run. So that's where his top hand comes in. The stronger your top hand and the more control you have over your top hand, the less barrel drop you'll have. Because if his hands are there, which is a good height, you can see, you know, like I said, he had to reach for it, but his hands are in a perfect spot right above his belly button there. Okay. So his hands are in the right spot. But again, if his bat vertical angle was, regardless of how much he's swinging up or down now, if his bat vertical angle is too, too steep, then he fouls that ball straight back. Don't we see left-handed hitters do that all the time? Okay. They do because they have a, a deep bat vertical angle from maybe trying to get balls in the air too much. So, you know, if you look at that, it's, it's very, Ted Williams was very similar to that as well. Um, so if we look, I'm just going to draw that line again at contact. And then right after contact, yeah, it's not quite parallel. So he had a little bit of flip with that right hand. But most importantly, here in his power V, I don't know if you can see it, but that barrel is still down here. Okay, it's still slightly underneath his hands. That's all of those those moves help him stay at the bottom of the ball. If he got flippy from there to there or from there to there and his top hand, his barrel flipped up here above his hands, he would hit a ton of ground balls to the pull side. And he would definitely hit this ball on the pull side. Okay. So look at his front foot. One of the other things we can look at from the front here is watch his front foot. He lands closed. He always did. But as his front hip clears, watch his front foot, like come off the ground and spin. That's a lot of front foot movement, okay? Which means he's got a lot of weight sitting back on his backside, okay? So he's a guy that can sit back a lot. I'm going to fast forward here to the, we can see where that ball landed. And that guy in the kayak got it. Guess that was home note in 738. You don't see that very often. We go, we go to the side. So now we're really going to be able to see the hitch, right? So here's where his hands start. Okay, then he drops him all the way down to his hip, like his hip flexor. Then as his foot goes forward, his hands go back up. And if you stop him in the launch position, right about, right about here, okay, at heel plant, notice how steep his shoulder is. Look how his front shoulder is down at it. That's a really good, when your shoulders are like that, guess what? Your chest is probably going to be facing back here. 
if you stride and your front knee opens, guess what? Your hips are going to start to open. So his hip hip line is like there. Okay. So this angle is his torque angle, which is on an outside pitch, X factor, torque angle, whatever you want to call it, is in the high 30s, right? 35 degrees or so. Yeah. Pretty darn good. Now look at how high his hands are. Okay. So we've only said this about, I don't know, what is this, our hundredth uh, episode? So we probably said it a hundred times. It doesn't matter where you start, but if your launch position is bad, we need to change things. It doesn't matter if you do a somersault from the on-deck circle. If you land in this position on time with your top hand somewhere between your top of your ear and your chin, your front shoulder down, the weight on the inside of your back foot, and your front knee open a little bit, well, then you can do a somersault from the on-deck circle, okay? I mean, it really doesn't matter. I don't care what your rhythm and stride is, as long as you get your foot down when that ball's, you know, roughly 12 feet from home plate. Now, from here, watch his back knee. See how he really sinks into that back knee. Notice here's the knob right in front of the elbow or even with the elbow. The back comes down next to the shoulder, kind of looks like everybody else that's successful, Okay. He starts pulling the knob out in front. Again, you can see his heels a little bit more behind his toes, which is very, you can see almost spins on his back foot a little bit, okay? Remember when we did that test, that ground force reaction test, you know, when your back foot moves like that, you actually lose energy. You don't have as much energy, but guess what? It's not all about energy. Sometimes it's about being simple and getting the ball in the barrel and being strong enough to do it, okay? If he was 135 pounds, yeah, that's probably not a good move for him to do. But at 240, you know, I think he was okay with it. So um, lastly, you know, we, we kind of look at his, his impact position. You can see his left arm extend through. You know, a lot of people talk, you got to have that power L at contact. You don't. You have to have power L somewhere. But it's not always a contact. So you can see he extends through. Boom. His top hand is probably oh, pretty straight here. I bet he's 160 degrees or something. Let's see. About 150. So 148 with his top hand right at contact. And then after contact, look at that sucker get all the way straight. So this is what I was talking about from the front. Notice how the barrel is straight, pretty much horizontal out from the knob of the bat. What a lot of players do if their bat vertical angle is too low is they flip it up here at the end. And if they flip it up there, instead of hitting the bottom of the ball, they'll end up hitting the top of the ball. So that's a really great position when he extends his top hand through into his power V. And you can see his back heel is not high at all. Like he's, he's, he's borderline collapsing on his backside, but you know, he's still got his hips through a lot of times. If, if players squish the bug, one of the issues, I wouldn't call this a big squish, but you know, it's definitely not coming forward. Uh, is this stripe? See how this stripe comes down and in like this on his back leg. Um, most players that squish the bug, meaning they're pushing, with the back foot instead of sinking with the back leg, that stripe will be like facing forward. It'll be like this. So um, anytime you can get your knee inside your hip, okay, if I draw a line up there, we're good. Okay, so that's something to look out for for you coaches out there. If a player's got too much weight on their back foot, then this leg won't have like a, a point of contact. If, if I put a, whoops, if I put an angle behind his hamstring, behind his knee, mm -hmm. Okay, I'm trying to get there, but right, my marker's kind of messed up here. Still messed up. Let's see if I can switch it here. 
Yeah, it'll work this time. So if you kind of trace that back hamstring and then you trace the calf, you can see he's 113. That's higher than most. Most major leaguers are 90 to 100. Okay, so the more your back heel lifts, the higher your back heel lifts, the more this knee goes down and in, and then the smaller this angle gets. Okay, so uh, is it a problem at 115 or less? No, it's not a problem at all. But you'll usually, if you have a player that's pushing, trying to push off their backside, you'll see that back leg angle pretty straight. It'll be that that number will be 130 to 140 degrees. So um, anyway, really cool stuff. To, you know, the last thing we can look at is front foot. Okay, we didn't really look at that here, but when he lands, and he's actually landing more open here. I'm wondering if he's cheating on this pitch, but you can see that his front foot is is somewhat open here. A lot of times he would land and his front foot was closed. I think this is later in his career, obviously, home run 738. Um, but, you know, because of probably mobility in his front knee and hip, but that's why you used to see him spin. So if we look at his front foot, you'll see it spin open. So he spins kind of on his heel and his foot comes off the ground. The only way this foot can come off the ground, watch his back foot has all the weight on it. That's why his front foot slides until there. And then when his back foot finally comes around, all the weight's in his front foot. So he's got kind of some, you know, probably some mobility issues there. But it all comes down to, I don't know, I just use the word mobility issues because a lot of people say, oh, if you don't have perfect mobility, you can't be, you know, a dominant hitter. But you know what? Some guys hit. Some guys are just really great hitters. And even though his back foot wasn't perfect and his front knee and hip mobility weren't perfect and his, his back leg had to swing out to catch because his front leg didn't have any weight on it, let's not overcomplicate moves. You know, let's make sure that we create some energy with a, a small weight shift. We rotate with our body. We, we make sure we're in a proper launch position. And then we make sure that our top hand stays through the ball. I, I would say Barry Bonds did did all those things pretty darn well. All right. Well, uh, great job as always on that mechanical breakdown, volume 33, Barry Bonds, our gold edition. And to watch, of course, to get a better look of what Jake was talking about during that analysis, um, visit our YouTube page, the lab Epstein hitting podcast and subscribe. We do appreciate that. Watch full episodes, clips, and of course, this mechanical breakdown and previous ones as well. Let's get to our listener question sent to us via Jimbo podcast, 21 at gmail.com. And this comes to us from Patrick from Iowa. He writes, Jim and Jake, congrats on approaching 100 episodes. My question is pretty simple. Can you explain further about what you talked about a couple of weeks ago in regards to pronating? How much wrist action is involved with the most successful hitters swings? I don't think the wrist is talked about enough. Thanks for reading my question. Again, that is sent to us via Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com from Patrick in Iowa. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because the wrists can can make or make or break the swing. Um, you can you can work your whole and, and you can have a wrist issue early. So if you have a wrist issue early from launch, those of you, I don't know, again, you'd have to look at the YouTube video, but with my hand, if I if I start to this is supinate. Okay, so supinate goes this way. If I start to do that early, that's, I'm casting, and that's going to help my back elbow drop underneath too soon and create length to my arc of, of the bat, which takes time, and now all of a sudden we're not as efficient. So um, casting is, is really bad, and that's a wrist issue. And then at, at contact, if we um, – so pronate is kind of turning over this way. Okay, so supinate is under, pronate's over with that, with that top hand. 
as soon as, I mean, if you do this a half an inch right at contact, your barrel is going to flip up maybe a quarter of an inch, an eighth of an inch, and you're not going to hit the middle of the ball. So the whole palm up, palm down that people talked about it. And the funny part is nobody's really ever palm up, palm down because nobody has like a palm up, palm down grip. You know, that would be almost like this, right? My small knuckles are lined up. Nobody really has small knuckles lined up. A lot of players are like this, even big leaguers, right? And now I do, well, now I got one palm going one way and one going the other way. So the key is the top hand has to be palm up. If the, mm-hmm. And then the bottom hand, you know, adjusts based on very individual small adjustments that players have with their grip. But that top hand staying palm up is, uh, you know, and, and that was Tony Gwynn. You know, what do you think, Tony? What do you, what do you try to do? I try to be palm up, palm down at contact. Okay. So he found a way to do it and get, you know, 3,800 hits or whatever he had in his career, right? It worked for him. So, um, yeah, so your wrist there and there is release, right? So there is power releasing the barrel. Very, very important. It's the last part of the kinetic chain. People don't realize. Um, So if you have stiff wrist, that's not good either right? Then there's no release. Then we're just robotic and we're just twisting or spinning. So we want to release it, but we have to release the hand more like this with the palm up versus releasing the bat like this, which is risky. Um, Now, does that mean you can't do it? No. Bryce Harper does this pretty good through contact with his top hand. Okay. That's why he looks like this at contact. Okay. He's got a very violent hand action through contact works for him it usually doesn't work with young players um that i've seen um but you know it doesn't mean that there's not outliers you know that are that are playing the game today so staying palm up palm down super important it really is or at least palm up with the top hand and then as far as pronating you know not going this way and then some players will go this way if they're back elbow i'm not flexible enough to do it but if if your palm up here i'm good and then you can work that elbow more or just if players lean in more and then this elbow gets there, then, you know, that's almost like a supination of the top hand. And then the barrel really drops. So your bat vertical, you'll get in the forties with that. Mm-hmm. I've worked with players at high levels too, that, that do that. And that they just miss pitches all the time. You know, they foul off good pitches all the time. So uh, it kind of goes with posture. You know, if your posture is pretty good and you're not tilting too much either way, or you're not changing your posture throughout the swing, the same is true with your hand. Think of that as posture. If it's changing through the swing, your top hand like this, well, that's a direct relationship to what the barrel's doing, and then you're not going to be consistent with your contact. All right, Patrick, great question. Email us, everybody out there listening, watching Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. Next week, Ep will not be with us. He will be in Greece. He's bolting America. Might not be a terrible idea. Uh, Cassie Riley Bosia will be joining us next week. She was a part of that 2012 University of Alabama National Championship softball team. Looking forward to speaking with her. Uh, and we will be doing episode 101. She will be our guest co-host. We didn't get a chance to touch on it, by the way, but uh, one, a former guest co-host just got drafted to play softball professionally, Shomo. We'll, we'll, get, to awesome. that. we'll get to that when, when you come back, though, and we'll congratulate her uh, uh, fully we'll give her a nice uh, little congratulations in episode 102 um what do you got coming up uh, really quick at the lab uh we got hitting and catching camps and throwing programs kicking off mm-hmm. uh that kicks off the day after memorial day tomorrow if i'm not mistaken yes tuesday, um, tuesday. 
So, uh, yeah, we're just preparing for those mini camps. They're high, high instruction, uh, low ratio players. It's, uh, it's what we do to get players better. So we're prepping for that and excited about it. All right. For more information, log on to the lab bcs.com. Do you have anything else before we, uh, before we scram? No, just happy 100, Jim. We made it. Happy 100. Made the century, Mark. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Tara at Epstein Hitting. I will talk to you next week. Epp will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening and watching. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.